are reminded that uh, the reason Christmas is so important is because of this week, right? If this week didn't happen, Christmas would have, you know, would, ha- would not have the meaning um, that it has uh, for us. Hey, uh, last week, uh, when, when I started my time, my message time, uh, I was washing Danny Gavini's feet. And I felt like, you know, that was a pretty heavy way to start uh, a message. So I, th- I felt like I owed it to you maybe this week to do something a little bit different. Um, and so I thought to myself, you know, next Sunday morning is Easter Sunday, but it's also April 1st, which is April Fool's Day. So I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, I'm do, I'm going to do a Google search for uh, classy April Fool's pranks. Okay, so we got to remember that the internet is what it is. So when you do a search for classy April Fool's jokes, you got to be prepared for what might pop up. Because I'm thinking, you know, I, I don't want to do something disrespectful around the office. I don't want to do something disrespectful here. It's Easter Sunday. You know, what could we do that was classy? Don't search classy April Fool's jokes. But let me give you, I just wanted to give you an example of a couple of things that popped up. So you will be where? Uh, maybe in your office, maybe at your home. So here was one of them. Uh, it was uh, the person took the, the jelly donuts that were uh, in the office or whatever, filled them with mayonnaise, took out, the, took out the jelly and filled it with mayonnaise. Like, I'm already going, no, that's not going to fly at First Baptist. That's not, that's not going to happen. So then there was another one that... Um, uh, they took Oreo cookies, took them apart, put toothpaste in the middle. I mean, come on, what, what people do this? But, but that, was not the, the, that was not the most classy. Here was the most classy. And I think if you have a brother or a sister, you will identify with this. Uh, a sister um, handed her brother uh, a sleeve of Pringles. And he opened the Pringles and ate a couple of them. And he said, man, these are terrible. They taste terrible. What's the problem? She had licked all the flavor. She had licked all the flavor off of the Pringles and put them back in the can. So I just want to be, have you be forewarned. If you know anybody that would maybe be searching classy. Keep in mind, this was on the classy. These were the classy April Fool's. Uh, pranks. I can't imagine what might happen next week. But just keep in mind as you come here, it's Easter Sunday, so we want to we keep it classy, First Baptist, all right? Let's see what, we can do, uh, see what we can do with that. So, yeah, yeah, oof. I'm not looking forward to next Sunday for that reason. I'm, I am looking forward to celebrating the resurrection with you. So we've been um, in, a, in a series together talking about God Revealed. And we've talked about God revealed in the different circumstances of our life. We've talked about God revealed in the wilderness, that when we go through difficult times, God shows up. We've talked about God revealed in our accomplishments, that when, as we are, as we are uh, attempting to live and serve our Savior, that God shows up and in powerful ways, uh, people see God in us. Uh, last week we talked about God showing up in our service, that as we're willing to love and serve other people, which is what we're about as a church. We want to be about loving other people and serving people. God shows up in, in those times. And then this morning, and we've been looking at circumstances in, in uh, Jesus' life and in, in the life of the early church. 
and to see how uh, God shows up in those uh, situations. And so this morning, we, we are going to be looking at the idea of God being revealed in our pain and, and in our suffering. And so this morning, we're, we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture that I have, I, I have to just say that I, I come to with a great amount of humility because I just recognize uh, that in this passage that we're reading uh, that there's a lot going on. There's a lot happening in this passage that is, is really, quite honestly, uh, mysterious, uh, difficult for us to even really grasp the, the gravity of what's happening uh, in, in this passage, we are going to do our best. I am going to do my best to try to unpack it for us. But I, I want to say right up front, uh, my, I am not the smartest person nor the holiest person. Um, and we just need to really throw ourselves on the, the person of the Holy Spirit and say, God, would you show us what you want us to have this morning as we look at this passage? And I believe God will do that. Because there's some mystery here. So let me uh, begin just with a quick prayer and ask that very thing for us. God, we are uh, grateful for what we can <clears throat> celebrate today for, the, for our opportunity to see that you actually, God, want to reveal yourself to us even in our struggle, in our pain, in our suffering. And that you have shown that in the life of Jesus as we look at this this morning. So Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts? Would you unpack uh, this passage for us and help us to understand it better. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are, uh, this is Palm Sunday. And so as we have sung and as we have read about uh, that incident uh, 2,000 years ago, Jesus coming into Jerusalem, uh, it, it really his final week of life, he enters as a, as a king, people celebrating Hosanna. And we know by the end of the week, uh, Jesus is executed, crucified, and last week we looked at an incident that happened on Thursday night. He was with his disciples and they had the Passover meal together. He washed their feet. He really had his last moments with them. And from that incident, that dinner, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And what we were going to read about this morning is what happened just a matter of a couple hours after the, the last uh, supper, the Passover meal with them and his washing their feet uh, Jesus was at the Mount of Olives uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane in particular and uh, praying to his father. So I want to say this about the, the Mount of Olives and the, the, the Garden of Gethsemane in particular. Uh, this was a place that Jesus frequented. Uh, he was there often. It's just outside of Jerusalem. Uh, I have not been there personally. Some of you have. And it is a beautiful place. There's some beautiful scenery there. Jesus was there often with his disciples. And he's there in uh, this place. Gethsemane itself, the word Gethsemane means olive press. So it probably was a place where they were not just uh, growing olives, but harvesting them and then pressing them into oil. And that's where Jesus finds himself uh, on this evening, Thursday evening of his last week. So let's look at this together. It's in Matthew chapter 26. If you have your Bible, I would encourage you to find Matthew 26. We're going to, going to start reading at verse 36 of Matthew 26. So open your Bible to that point, and I will read it. Matthew 26, beginning at verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee 
along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell down with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back again, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he, le he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. So I want us to look at this situation, this event in, in the, the last days of Jesus' life, in this uh, garden setting in the evening, uh, and see what it tells us about maybe a way that we can relate to the struggle and the pain in our own life that will inevitably come, and we're, we will touch on that. So when we look at this time, there's three things I want to point out that happen or that I observe about this time in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the first is that it was a time of incredible pain. Now, how do we know that? Well, let's, let's look at, I, I want us to make a general observation. If you look at the life of Jesus, and, and you have read the Bible at all, or have you spent any time in the New Testament, some of you I know have, and we look at the, the life of Jesus, one thing that at least I observe is Jesus always seems to be in control. I mean, think about the circumstances he's found himself in over the three years that he's been in ministry. Nothing seems to really shake him. I'll give you some examples of that. So he encounters people that are demon-possessed. And these people are out of control. And there's, the, the people of the area can't figure out what to do with these people. They can't handle them. They can't control them. But Jesus will go and confront these demon-possessed people. He'll speak to these demons. He'll cast them out. He's in control. He's, he's exhibiting power that's beyond what a, a normal human being is able to do. And he does it with, with ease and with great control. He was, in, he was in a boat one time with his disciples who were seasoned professional fishermen. And these guys are fearing for their life because the storm that they're in is so incredible. And Jesus is asleep in the boat. He wakes up and he says to the storm, be still. And it happens. He's with 5,000 people. They're hungry. They need something to eat. His disciples are kind of freaking out. What are we going to do? And he feeds the 5,000 people. Nothing really throws Jesus for a loop. The, the religious leaders uh, come after him. They question him. They, they want to try to catch him in, in what he's teaching. And he's able to navigate that. Nothing throws him for a loop ever. Until this moment. Until this moment. We get into this circumstance. And then all of a sudden we see words like overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Please, he says to his disciples, come with me. Come pray with me. I need your help. And so we, 
in my mind, it's clear. I recognize that there's something bigger going, you know, going on here than what Jesus has encountered in the past. We're seeing Jesus in a, in a different way. And even the gospel writers, as they put this together, they, they included this because they knew that there was something significant going on here on this, on this evening. And so we need to, I think, understand as best we can what is happening. It's, Jesus is in incredible distress. So what is the source of this distress, this suffering, and this pain? I'm going to suggest that there are two things. One is, Jesus knows what's coming. He knows that he is going to be betrayed. He knows that he is going to suffer and he is going to be crucified. Now when we think about that as humans, and we think about crucifixion, and you've probably heard about it in the past, it's an incredibly painful and torturous way to die. Over hours. It's not something that happens instantaneously. It's something that happens over hours and sometimes days. And so Jesus is anticipating the humiliation, the mocking, the suffering, the pain, physical pain that he will be experiencing in just a few hours. And so he's recognizing that this is his apparent destiny. And he's recognizing the struggle that's in front of him. And we think about pain of nails and hands and feet, and we, we recognize that part of what crucifixion is is not, they're not bleeding to death. They're suffocating because they eventually can't hold their body up. And so there's just this anticipation of that is overwhelming, I'm sure. And so there is that going on. And as a result, he's got things happening within him. The Bible talks about, not this passage, but Luke talks about Jesus sweating drops of blood. The anxiety and, and, and what he's experiencing. His body really is falling apart on him. He's coming apart from the inside out because of what he's anticipating. And so that, that stress, that anxiety, is tearing him up. Now I would say that's sufficient that, for that kind of anxiety to be happening. But I have to ask myself, as I've looked at history and I've watched or read accounts of other people that have been executed and martyred because of their faith, I've seen them go to that and heard them go to that their death with much more courage and, and confidence than I'm seeing in Jesus. And so I have to say to myself, there's something more happening here than just him anticipating the, the physical pain that's coming because of his crucifixion. As bad as that is, as terrible as that is, there's something bigger going on here than, than that. And so I want us to land on a particular phrase in here and try to unpack it a little bit and see if we can understand it. Because here's what I want us to understand today. And this is bigger than really we can fully grasp. I want to say that right up front. But we are really good at saying, hey, Jesus died for my sins. And, and that truly is what happened. Jesus did physically die. And he physically suffered. 
But if that's all that you think it was, then we're missing a big part of that, of what happened. So let's look at this phrase. There's a phrase in that passage that we read where Jesus prays to his father and says, May this cup be taken from me. He asks his father in heaven as he prays, May this cup be taken from me. Now this cup, what is Jesus speaking of? Is he speaking of just the crucifixion that is coming his way? That, that Father, if it's possible, could I not die? I want to suggest this morning that as we look at what the Bible talks about when it talks about the cup and the image that is around that, it is much more than just Jesus physically suffering. So let's look at this together. What does the cup signify? What is Jesus referring to when he says, Father, may this cup be taken from me? And so there are some passages in the Bible that connect some imagery with the cup. So let's look at this. And I'm going to have you jump around. You don't have to. I'm going to read them to you. But if you want to look at them, I'll try to give you some time to look these up. The first one's in the Old Testament. first three are in the Old Testament. Isaiah 51. Isaiah 51 and verse 17. The prophet says this. Awake, awake, rise up, Jerusalem. You who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath. You have drained it to its dregs, the goblet that makes people stagger. Verse seven, that's verse 17. You have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath. In Jeremiah 25, verse 15, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. Take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. Ezekiel 23, verse 32 and 33, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You will drink your sister's cup, a, a cup large and deep. It will bring scorn and derision, for it holds so much. You will be filled with drunkenness and sorrow, the cup of ruin and desolation, the cup of your sister Samaria. So in the Old Testament, this picture of the cup of God's judgment of God's wrath, and Jesus is recognizing that at least part of what's happening here is that he is now the lightning rod for this judgment, this wrath of his father. This person that he has been so intimate with, who he has been so connected with, is now he, he recognizes what's ha happening is this death certainly is physical, but there is something spiritual going on here too. That, that God's wrath of, against sin and against those that have rebelled against him is the focus of what Jesus is, is coming to do. And then one from the New Testament in Revelation chapter 14 says, If anyone worships the beast in its image and receives its, its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been pulled, poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. So this picture, as Jesus anticipates what's coming and he prays to his Father, he's saying, if possible, Father, could this cup be taken from me? And he recognizes what's happening here. So when Jesus is praying for this cup to be taken, I believe it is more than just saying, hey, do I have to die Jesus is saying, hey, this, this judgment against sin, 
do I have to bear this? Does this have to happen? He will be bearing the divine judgment that we all rightly deserve, that all humanity rightly deserves because of our rebellion against God. Jesus is taking it upon himself. So he will suffer horribly physically, but he will especially suffer spiritually. Because here his father, who he has from the very beginning of his ministry, if you look back to when he was baptized, the Spirit of God came down onto him like a dove and empowered him to be the person that he was. That's he, Bit by bit, Jesus sees that slipping away, that intimacy slipping away. So what I believe is happening here in the garden is the beginning, uh, Jesus recognizing that separation from his father is happening. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, think about this now. We read this often. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him who had no sin. We're fine with that part. Okay? God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So what we're saying here, what we're recognizing here is Jesus is taking upon himself the sin of all mankind. He is becoming sin for us. So he sees this separation happening. And to me, it brings complete clarity then to what happens when Jesus is hanging on the cross. And he says things like, Father, why have you forsaken me? Or he says, it is finished. When he says those things and you recognize what is going on within his relationship with his father, and he recognizes this intimacy and this closeness that he's had with his father is being uh, torn away. He's feeling forsaken by the person who he was closest to. You can see, in my mind, the pain. And when he says it is finished... That, that process is complete. So here's why I say we will never fully understand. I don't believe we will ever fully understand what Jesus is going through. The, the, the extent to which he's, he's suffering. But I believe it's important that we try to understand. That it's, yes, as terrible as crucifixion was, there's something much more terrible that Jesus is enduring for us. And so... To, to me, our best response to that is a response of faith and a response of worship. That when we stand here on Sunday morning singing and as we go through this week and we come next Easter or next Sunday for Easter Sunday, that we come with a recognition, that, hey, this, this was more than just some guy getting executed. Th- there was something significant going on. And I'm the beneficiary of it. We are the beneficiary of it. So when we encounter trials and suffering and pain, however great that might be, and, and I don't pretend to understand what some of you are dealing with and going through, but what I can say is this, God understands. He knows. And, and he's ready to meet you in that pain and in that difficulty and in that suffering. So that's the first thing. It was an incredible 
time of pain. Secondly, it was a time of wrestling. And this is important for us too. When Jesus prayed in the garden, it's remarkably honest. He says, Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. I mean, Jesus is being as, as honest as he can be, saying, hey, if there is any other way, Father, that this can happen, I, I'm open to it. I'm open to it. And so we see this wrestling happening. Why is this important for us? I think it's important for us to see the humanity of Jesus, that he is wrestling with his humanity. He, he wants to keep living. He feels like there's more he can do, I'm sure. There's whatever reason he might give. We do all do the same thing as we wrestle with God. We've got reasons why this shouldn't be happening, or it could have happened later, or it didn't have, have to happen now. So this idea of, of Jesus wrestling with his humanity is important for us to see. This struggle was intense. It's, he says to his disciples, I am overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He is struggling. He is truly wrestling with what's going on in him. And so he says, first of all, if it's possible, if there was another way for this to happen, Father, can we do it? Secondly, though, he says, not as I will, but as you will. So as he wrestles, he still comes to this idea where he recognizes that I, I, I must submit. So he has victory. He wrestles and eventually has a point of victory over his flesh, over his humanity that says, you know what, I recognize I must submit to what God wants. Some of you have had that very same struggle and your prayer sounds very similar to what Jesus is praying. I think about people that have gone through horrible things or are currently going through horrible things. Loss of a parent, loss of a spouse, loss of a, a child, a job situation that is, is terrible. Maybe there's an illness that you're struggling with or a family member is struggling with and, and, you, and you don't understand it. Maybe you're just totally tied up in knots about your future. You do not know what your future holds or what's going to happen in the future. Uh, maybe you're in a marriage that is less than ideal and you find yourself struggling with that. I don't pretend to know what your pain might be even this morning. But I, I do recognize that we all have to wrestle the same way. We have to wrestle with if it's possible, God, could you save this person or could you stop this from happening or whatever the prayer might be. And then we have to recognize a need in our own life to submit and, and come to a point where we say, God, not what I will, but what you will. I don't pretend to stand up here and say that's an easy place to be. That could take weeks, months, years but it's, it's an important wrestling that must happen. It was, a, it was an incredible time of pain. It was, a, it was a time of wrestling. And then lastly, it was a time of resolution. So Jesus prays three times. The same basic prayer. There seems to be a recognition, and I don't want to put too much weight on the exact words here, but there seems to be a recognition as he's going through it that he's realizing the answer is no. Right? Right? I mean, the, the second time it's like, 
if it's not possible, he's, he's recognizing that the father's saying, uh, no, this is, this is going to be it. And sometimes we have that very same process that happens with us. And so there's this, this resolution. He, he comes to recognize that the answer is, no, this, Jesus, this is what needs to happen. And so in, in Jesus' mind, after those three times of prayer, and, and to think, you know, we read that in just a few seconds, clearly at least the first time he was out, it was an hour. That's what he indicates. It was a, about an hour. So it wasn't like he was out there for, you know, 15 seconds and came back. He was extended. So to think that this was all he prayed would be a little short-sighted. We, we recognize there was an intense conversation going on here. But when it's all said and done, there is a resolution that Jesus resolves, the matter is settled, and so at the very end he says to his disciples, let's go, it's time. And I think we have to do the very same thing. We have to come to a point of resolution to say, you know what, I don't, it's not my choice, it's not what I prefer, but this is God's plan, this is God's will. And Jesus' resolve was to press further into what God wanted to do. Sometimes we resolve to say, you know what, I'm going to do it my way. I don't recommend it. What I want to recommend as we look at Jesus is the resolve to push in further into what God has for us, as difficult as it might be. So this morning, I want to, I want to provide three just quick lessons uh, from, from Jesus' time of, of struggle and, and pain in the garden. I think there's, there's at least three things for us here. First is the frailty of our humanity. We, we just have to recognize our own limitations, even as we look at the disciples, right? So Jesus goes away. He asks specifically, Peter, James, and John, come help me out. I need you to pray for me. He goes and prays, and he's sure that th- these three guys are the inner circle. These are the guys that have seen Jesus in some of his most shining moments. I can count on these guys. And, and he comes back, and they're asleep. So th- the human frailty element is here. Even Jesus wrestling, we, we recognize that, that uh, we are pretty weak in and of ourselves. And I want us to recognize even when we think about the sin in our life, most of the time, I'm not going to say all the time, but most of the time, our sin is not ignorance. Right? There may be times that we sin because we didn't know something was a sin. Most of the time, our sin is weakness or selfishness or an unwillingness to do what we know is right. Am I right? That's, I mean, we, we, if we're honest, that's where our sin comes from. It's like, I know this is not the, the right direction, yet for whatever reason, just my own frailty, I, I can't make it happen, and so I give in, and, and it, it becomes a disaster. So we have to recognize our frailty. Secondly, uh, we have to recognize the importance of prayer. Here's Jesus at the probably the most difficult time in his life, and the, his very first choice is to go to his father and pray. And so we need to see that uh, God wants to hear us pour out our hearts to him. He was ready to hear his son's prayer. Even if it was a prayer of questioning, God wants to hear our prayer. It's important that we, uh, that we pray. And we, need, we all obviously have to recognize that prayer is not always answered in the way that we would prefer. We always want a yes. And sometimes it's a no. And sometimes it's a wait be patient. We don't like those 
Second two, we want it to always be, yes, God loves me. He wants to do what I want. But God wants to hear our deepest struggles, and, and he wants us to, to share those with him. And lastly, prayer is a point of connection with God that will strengthen our resolve. That as we go to prayer and as we recognize, even in a difficult time, God's with me, it will strengthen my resolve to do the right thing. So prayer is important. Thirdly, we need to recognize God's will gets done. Even when we don't understand it. And, and honestly, this side of heaven, there's a lot of things happening in our life that we will never completely understand. But God's will will be done. It will happen. And we, it is great to know that we have a God that fully understands what's happening, even when we don't. So when we're overwhelmed, when we feel alone, when we feel like there's nobody there that we can count on, we need to recognize God is with us. He walks with us through that. And then lastly, I want us to understand God's incredible love for us. That as we think about what Jesus did for us, the struggle that he went through, the decisions that he made, his willingness not just to die but to become sin, to bear our sins so that we can be reestablished in our relationship with God. That's the ultimate expression of God's judgment and love in the same package. It's an incredible picture of how much God loved us. It wasn't God's second plan. It wasn't plan B because plan A didn't work out. This is what God established from the beginning of time because of his love for us. And so God's justice is satisfied, but God's incredible love for us is on display. So here's what I want you to know this morning. The pain that we're, that we're enduring, that you're enduring, the suffering that you're enduring is not the end because Sunday's coming. So the one, the one thing that Jesus anticipated in the whole process or that he recognized and that we recognize now this side of it is the resurrection happens. The resurrection happens. So we can, we can endure the pain. We can recognize that Jesus could with resolve, face what was in front of him because Sunday was coming. And so we have this hope, we have this recognition, we have this anticipation that when we come next week and sit right here and celebrate the resurrection, it's not just, hey, Jesus died, now he's alive. It's this transaction happens and I, and I am forever changed. And so this morning I want to encourage you with that very thing. So if you would, I'd like you to bow your head with me. And let me just pray for us. And as we go to prayer, I want to just say this. I don't uh, pretend to know the, the pain that some of you may be dealing with and the struggle that you may be up against uh, right now, this particular moment in your life. But I want you to take some hope this morning in, in the recognition that God knows and that Sunday's coming. That because of the resurrection, because of what Jesus did on our behalf, we can celebrate the fact that God is with us in the midst of what we struggle with on a daily basis. So let me pray for us. God, we are thankful. Thank you for uh, the event that we just unpacked a little bit this morning, that it, Jesus says he was with you in prayer, Father, and, and struggling with what was in front of him. 
that he was willing to submit to you and say, Father, not what I will, but what you will. And so this morning, God, it's my prayer that each of us would come to the point of submitting our lives to you and to your will. And this morning, if you haven't done that, if you have not made that commitment of your life to say, God, I submit fully to you. Maybe you've been toying around with it a little bit or you, you just have never really fully understood what it meant to uh, submit your life to Christ and be a follower of his. This morning when we're done singing, I'm going to be here at the front uh, afterwards and I would love to talk to you about that, pray with you about that, make sure that you have a full understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus this morning. So God, thank you for what Jesus did for us. Thank you that as we go through this week and as we consider each day what we're anticipating on Sunday, that we would get more and more excited about the message that we have next Sunday morning, that there's people that we know that need to know you, that we need to extend an invitation to, that we need to get excited about what you're doing in our life so that they can experience it for themselves. God, we thank you for the change that you've made in our life and the change that you want to make uh, in this church, in the people of, of our community that don't know you. God, we just trust you for that and thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Christ is our cornerstone. Amen. It's who we build our lives around. I'm going to invite you to stand as we conclude this morning in worship by singing that song.
encourage you this morning as you're on your way out grab a packet of those invitations invite somebody to come join us next week for the celebration of the resurrection this morning as we leave I am going to say the pain is real you are going to respond Sunday's coming but Sunday's coming the pain is real amen have a great week